need to make sure that that's far enough away. <laughs> Last week I was right in the middle of my sermon. Carla stands up and she's coming towards me and then she grabs me and moves me to the side. But now my wife was also worried that I was going to catch on fire and she was going to have to say, stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> so you know, everybody has a different gift and so we're grateful that Carla has the gift of being Dutch. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking today from uh, Matthew chapter 2 primarily, a bunch of different verses. I've never preached on this before and found some things that I had, did not know about before just in reading uh, carefully. But uh, Matthew is writing to Jews and so it's very important for him that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so again and again in these, this chapter he says, that it might be fulfilled. That's going to be what we're going to be talking about. Let me read chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. It says, In Bethlehem in Judea, uh, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I'm... I have something in common with Amos, the Old Testament prophet, and that is, he said, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, and I am not a prophet either, if that means forecasting the future. However, there was one time that I, I did something, but it wasn't really a revelation that I had from God, but observation. Uh, some years ago, I was a pastor for much of my life, didn't have much money, but we had a little bit. And I was thinking about investing that in a mutual. So I, I studied uh, all the books to find out the mutuals that did the best and selected one. And lo and behold, just about that time, 9-11 hit. Terrible, horrific tragedy. The Twin Towers came down. And what I had found in looking before was that when there was some kind of thing like this, the stock market would drop but then it would come back very quickly. So while it dropped, I went into the market, you know, made a little money. About three or four months later, we were buying a house, and I was able to use that extra third or whatever uh, to put as a down payment on my house. But that's the closest that I've ever come to that kind of prophecy. But the interesting thing in the Bible is that God is a God of parallels. Something happens... And then in the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So in a way, he was a mini-Israel, but he fulfilled all of these things in a way that Israel never could. For example, in the Old Testament, we have Moses. And as a baby, Pharaoh wanted to kill all the Hebrew children because uh, there were getting too many of them. He thought he would kill the males and so he told the, uh, the midwives to kill the males if they were born. But Miriam, who was Moses' mother, put him in a basket to save his life. Well, in the New Testament, something very similar happened. Herod was afraid that Jesus might indeed be the new king. And he didn't like anybody being a rival to him. And so what he did was he, he uh, decided to kill all the infant males under the age of two. And Jesus fulfilled that. 
also the Hebrews in the Old Testament were in slavery in, in Egypt. And so uh, God sent Moses and Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, not a chance. Or something like that. And then uh, uh, God sent ten plagues and it was only with the tenth plague that Pharaoh agreed to let them go. And later on, we have the, the prophet uh, saying uh, that out of Egypt, I have sent my son, call my son. The same thing happened later to Jesus. Uh, when Herod was on the, the warpath, Joseph was told to go to Egypt, and they stayed there for a while, and then Joseph brought Jesus out. And so, once again, uh, Matthew is saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. But one final thing that I'm going to look at, there are a whole bunch of these, but uh, the Hebrew people wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus, as He began His public ministry, went into the wilderness for 40 days. And so we find again and again that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The first one that Matthew mentions here is that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Now let's look at the original of these. You go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and uh, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, was an evil king by the name of Ahaz. They had a whole bunch of evil kings and Ahaz was afraid of being invaded because the northern kingdom had already been carried off in the captivity many years before. And so he was thinking, well, you know, the best thing is for me to align myself with Assyria the northern power, to keep me protected from the southern power, which was Egypt. Israel was sort of in the middle of both. And so they were always in turmoil. He thought this was a good idea. But God sent his prophet Isaiah to say, don't do this. Depend instead upon God. But he was not able to convince Ahaz of that. And he said, well Ahaz, ask God for a sign. And Ahaz pretended to be pious. He said, oh, I wouldn't even pretend to ask God for a sign. But the fact is, he just didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And so Isaiah said, well, God's going to send you a sign anyway. A virgin is going to have a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which is translated meaning God with us. And you know, I thought about that. He said, this is going to be a sign to you. He wasn't just saying that this was going to happen 700 years later when Jesus was born. And to be assigned to Ahaz, it had to be something that he witnessed himself. And I couldn't find, I looked at a bunch of commentaries, I could not find anybody that was saying the same thing that I thought was true here. But Carolyn, and she found at least one other person that agrees, something had to have happened in that day and then Jesus later was going to fulfill that completely. But one of the commentaries said that uh, perhaps it was somebody in Ahaz's household that had a child called Emmanuel. A more likely scenario might have been that Isaiah, after his first wife died, had a son, and this son uh, was called Emmanuel. But somehow it had to be a sign. And the Bible doesn't tell us what it was. And what happened, we can only survive. But I believe that something happened. But then, 
The greatest fulfillment of this took place when Jesus was about to be born. The angel came to Mary. And he said, you're going to bear a son. And his name is going to be Emmanuel. That this might be fulfilled. And she said to the angel, oh, that's not possible because I've never been with a man. The angel said, no, this is coming from the Holy Spirit of God. And so the time went on. And Mary did give birth to the Son. And this was parallel. Happened again and again. All this took place, according to Matthew, uh, so that it might be fulfilled what the Lord had said. The first fulfillment. Let me say this about Mary. The Bible declares that Mary was to be honored because she gave birth to the Son, but she is not something that we are to worship in any way, nor to pray through her, because... The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and men, and that is Jesus Christ. And you see, Mary, like every other person that has been born in history, had to be saved by Jesus. I love the little song by John Lowry, and that is, the one that you delivered will one day deliver you. You see, Mary was a sinner like all of us. She was not perfect. Uh, she, she was a sinner, and she needed the salvation of her son, just like all of us do. Then secondly, it says that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now you remember the story here very well. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because he was the, of the line of David and uh, they were going to be taxed and so that's where he went. But there was no room, the Bible says, in the inn. Now, this wasn't a holiday inn. This was more like a very poor Airbnb, but even those rooms were all taken. But in Bethlehem, there were hundreds of caves. And that's where the people kept their animals. But probably Jesus was not in a, in a manger with a, a, a roof and everything over it. Probably born inside of a cave. And I, I don't know French very well. I did take one course in French. And uh, I found out the word to eat, manger, is very similar to the word manger. And so a manger is actually a cattle stall, as we say in Louisiana. And this is where Jesus was placed when he was born. But also, there were some wise men in the East. And probably they had come in contact with uh, some of the Jews that were taken into captivity about that area of Persia. And to their credit, for hundreds of years, they had been watching for a particular star that was going to prophesy the coming of the king. And they saw that star, and they made preparations to follow the star. Now, they couldn't get on a plane and just take a trip in a day or so. Uh, this was a long journey for them, so they had a lot of preparation to do, had to get all the supplies together, and in doing that, then they began traveling, so it probably took them uh, well over a year. And they got to Israel, and I don't know whether the star just wasn't pointed right over the manger where Jesus was, but they kind of got lost. And they said, well, the best place to go is to the king, because surely he would know about the coming king that God was going to send. So they went to the evil Herod. Herod was surprised. And he was prepared to kill anybody that would take his throne. And so he called together the scribes and the chief priests and he said, 
You know, where is this king going to be born? And they knew. Going to be born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, but this is what the prophet has written, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they already knew where he was going to come. Now there were three entities here. First of all, there were the wise men that came to worship Jesus. And secondly, uh, there were the uh, chief priests and the scribes. And they already knew the information, but it didn't seem important enough for them to go just a few miles to Bethlehem to see him. Then there was Herod, and all he wanted to do was to kill the infant and thwart the purposes of God. You know, it wasn't just Herod that did this. It says in Revelation 12:4, Satan was ready to devour the child. Satan ultimately was behind all of it. But in Jesus being born in Bethlehem, this was the fulfillment of the prophecy that God had made. Then thirdly, it was to come out of Egypt. And so it says, uh, he got up, meaning Joseph, and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. The first occurrence of this took place with the Hebrew people. They were in slavery. They cried out to God and God sent Moses and all of his life had been preparing for this. He went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And so he would not and sent ten plagues. And finally with the last plague, he said, okay. So they went to the Red Sea and crossed over the Red Sea. And uh, later on, the, the, the prophet says in Hosea chapter 11, 1, out of Egypt have I called my son. the angel of the Lord also came to Joseph and said to Joseph, Herod's about to do something dastardly. And so he said, take Mary and the child and go to Egypt. And they went there and they stayed for a while until finally uh, they got word by way of a dream that Herod had died. And said, now you can go ahead and take Mary and the child back to Israel. And that's what they did. And in doing this, according to Matthew, it was the fulfillment of what God had already done for the Hebrew people. Out of Egypt have I called my son. There are over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament about Jesus. And these are just the ones dealing with, with the birth of Jesus. And one of those that he would be from Egypt. Now, by the time they got there, the son of Herod was now the king. His name was Archelaus, and there was hope that he would be much better than his evil father Herod. It was said about Herod that it was safer to be his pig than to be his son. He would even kill his sons if he was afraid of them taking over from him. And certainly he was going to kill this one. And so he asked the wise men, when did you see the star? And so they told him they didn't suspect anything. But he was keeping all of this in mind. But by the time uh, Joseph got to Israel, Archelaus was in control, and it turned out that he was just as bad, if not worse, than his father. He was so bad, the Jews sent a delegation to Caesar 
and protested. And so he took half of Archelaus' kingdom and gave to somebody else. And Joseph saw that Archelaus was there. He didn't go back to Bethlehem, uh, the town of his ancestors, but he went to Galilee, a little place called Nazareth. By the way, Herod died in about 4 B.C. That means that Jesus was born a year or two before that, so that we're, we're about to get enter the year 2020. It should probably be the year 25 or 26, depending upon where you date the birth of Jesus. The fourth prophecy is Ramah crying for her children. And Ramah was a little town to the north of, uh, of Jerusalem. Bethlehem was a little bit south of Jerusalem, but both of these were important things. And it says, uh, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity within two years and under. And this is all according to the scriptures. So he was doing this and he was giving himself some room for leeway. Because he didn't know exactly when Jesus was born, but he was going to kill all the sons uh, two years and under. And so he did. You know, this goes back to Ramah was known in the Old Testament just a little bit because uh, this was the place where Rachel, who was the wife of Je uh, Joseph, Jacob, was, was born. Who died, rather. And, you know, uh, this is a horrible thing because this, she was the favored wife. And he had two special children from her. Uh, Benjamin and uh, Joseph. And when, when she died, you can imagine how horrified, how heartbroken Jacob was. And he wept over uh, the place where she was buried at Ramah. And later on, when the southern kingdom was finally taken into captivity, and Judah was taken into captivity, uh, some of the, the, the sons were taken to Ramah, that same place. And uh, the women, of course, wept because their children were being taken away from the captivity. And so that's what the prophet says, Ramah weeping for her children. Rachel weeping for her children. Now, the reason that Rachel might have wept is because she was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. And that's where they encompassed the southern tribes. And so when they were carried off into captivity, Rachel would certainly have been sad because these were her children, or grandchildren, or great-great-great-grandchildren. The same thing would have happened in Jesus' day when Herod going to kill all these children Rachel was going to be weeping once again the mothers weeping for their children and this was prophesied and this was fulfilled in the day of Jesus then finally it says he's going to be called a Nazarene when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod he was afraid to go there having been warned in a dream he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said of the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, there's a little bit of a problem for this because there is no specific prophet that prophesied that the Messiah was going to come from Nazareth. And there are all kinds of proposals that have been given. 
but it seems the one that makes the most sense to me was the word Nasea. And there is a prophecy about Nasea, which means the shoot. We read that this morning. And we find that uh, in, uh, in uh, Nathaniel was talking uh, in, in uh, the book of Jer- uh, Jeremiah. And it says, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And so Nasir sounds very much like Nazareth. And you know, Nazareth in Jesus' day was a place that people kind of looked down upon. In fact, when Philip went to Andrew and said, come and see Jesus of Nazareth, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When I was growing up, I was from Ascension Parish in Louisiana. We have parishes, we don't have counties like everybody else because we're not like everybody else. And, but right next to us was another parish. It was Livingston Parish. And the mothers in Ascension Parish thought the people in Ascension Parish were better than the people in Livingston Parish. And so they would tell the daughters, don't marry anybody from Livingston Parish because they're not quite like us. Well, Nazareth had that same reputation. A little backwater town, not worth very much. But Jesus changed all of that. Because Jesus was called a Nazarene. But what does all this mean for you and me? Two things I think. First of all, that God has a plan for all of us. God's plan is going to be fulfilled. If God could prophesy something 700 years before it happened, He can certainly have a plan for your life and for mine. And He's working out His purposes. And listen, nothing can interdict the perfect plan of God. God's will is going to be fulfilled regardless. And we can get on board with the plan or we can oppose the plan, but ultimately God's will shall be done. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But also, I think this means that even if something bad happens in our life, that God is still there. And God is still in it. The, I, I, the Bible says that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purposes. God's working out some things in your life. And you can be assured that God is there. Even when it's horrible, even when you don't understand, God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. Have you ever looked at a tapestry? Look at the back side. And the back side is blurred. Sometimes you, I've looked at some of these, you can't really even tell what's in the front. You may see some of the colors. And then there are strings everywhere, and there are knots there. And so you can't see what the real picture looks at like by looking at the back side. So it is with our lives. Right now we're looking at the back side of the tapestry. Corey Ten Boom, who was a Christian that helped save many Jewish lives during the Second World War, was arrested, taken to a concentration camp, and her family was killed. She was the only one to survive. She faced hurt in life, but she often quoted uh, the tapestry poem. I'm going to read just a portion of that to you. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. 
Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. God's in control of our lives, and he works things out in our lives. And we may not understand it all, but God has a purpose and a plan for you. Bow with me as we pray. Our gracious Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself in Christ. And He is the fulfillment of all of your plans and purposes. God, help us today to align our lives with your plan for us. May your will be done in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.